stories shape the way that we see the world. The best ones get told so often it becomes difficult to decipher the truth from the web of fiction. I'm going to tell you about a hero from Greek mythology, Phaethon. Since his birth, Phaethon knew that his father was special. His mother fed him tale after tale about the sun chariot that he rode across the sky each and every day. And upon turning 18, Phaethon ascended to the heavens to finally meet his father face to face. In an act born of absentee guilt and bravado, Phaethon's father promised his son any favor that he could name. Phaethon asked to lead his father's sun chariot for a single day. For his entire life, Phaethon had been looking up and dreaming of someday grabbing the chariot's reins, of cracking the whip, of flying fearlessly across the sky. On the day, the horses took off on their usual path. It was clear to anyone watching that something was wrong. The horses, too accustomed to the weight of Phaethon's father, were running much too fast and burst out of control. Tremendous, scorching heat rained onto the earth below. Desperate to bring an end to this destruction, the gods struck Phaethon with a bolt of lightning. Ablaze, he plunged out of the sky, vanishing into the depths of the ocean below. Phaethon's efforts fell short, but we still talk about how much he dared to dream. This is a podcast, and a story, about someone similar to Phaethon. Someone desperate to reach up to and beyond the sun. Someone who looked up and saw that golden hue as something to strive for. Someone who wanted, more than anything, to be rich. Seventeen years ago, in late 2005, the North Yorkshire Police received the following phone call from 53-year-old Margaret Andrew. God damn it! Why is no one answering? I've uncovered something weird. I don't know. It's this York family. If what happened to me is any indication, you guys need to get on this now. They're going to find someone new, sell them another one of their fake stories, and then, before you know it, everyone will be dead.
the Yorks. From the outside, they were like any other family. Richard York and Cecily Swinford married young. They met at R&J's, the local nightclub, hit it off and got married in 1980. Then they moved around. A lot. Mostly for any job that paid the bills. Fixing cars, substitute teaching, and even one job that involved sticking those annoying leaflets under car windscreen wipers. In 1987, they welcomed their only daughter, Rich Junior, or Richie, into the world. As the years passed, their family continued to grow. It was ten years later when Edward was adopted at the age of 17. Five years after that, George joined the family in his mid-thirties. George initially started helping with the odd jobs here and there, but eventually became a crucial older brother figure for Edward. The Yorks tended not to mingle much with other people. Yeah, I knew him. They were only here for like a year or something, right? Do you remember? I were a youngin' at the time. Not sure how many kids, because there was three adults, wasn't there? No, four adults. Not really sure what were going on with that. That house on the corner there, I think. Bit odd. Yeah, they seemed like solid folks. Kept themselves to themselves, didn't they? Kind of neighbours you want, really. This might sound like a story about a working-class family taking in people who need help and working their hardest to get by. But as you might have guessed from Margaret Andrews' phone call at the top of the episode, the Yorks are anything but typical. The name Andrew might ring a few bells. Margaret was the proud owner of Consort Crafts, a chain of craft stores found around Europe. With her husband, Hank, Margaret was a commanding force in the industry. Meanwhile, back at home, the pair also raised their teenage son, Teddy. Teddy struggled academically. He had a bright but wondering mind. In the middle of 2004, the Andrews hired Ralph to be their son's tutor. Ralph was in his third year at university and looking for some extra money. Within weeks, Teddy's scores were going up and the two seemed to be getting on like a house on fire. Unfortunately, that expression quickly became more literal than metaphorical. Thousands of Consort Crafts employees are waking up to termination emails in their Consort inboxes. Consort Crafts is experiencing an unprecedented drop in share price. People have mortgage payments, car payments to make. Can you shed any light on what they're supposed this to do? This morning, I'm speaking with economic expert René Valois to discuss what's happened. In early 2005, thousands of Consort Crafts employees found themselves without a job to return to. The Anjou Empire was in trouble. There was a gaping hole in the company's funds, and nobody could work out what had happened. This is a clip of Margaret emerging from her house two months later. Miss Anjou! Miss Anjou! Miss Anjou! Are any, are any more Excuse people me. going to be fired? Do you expect people to, to keep waiting Ooh. to find out if they're going to lose their livelihoods? No comment! Please, just leave me alone! There have been rumours that you're thinking of closing all locations. So what? My husband! 
husband and son are dead. Move over. Is it true then? Are you closing more locations? I'm trying to find the people who stole everything from me. They're the ones that you supposed reporters should be investigating, rather than hanging outside my house like a swarm of fucking locusts trying to find out what the fucking share price is going to be. There. There's your soundbite. Now, I hate myself and I've got to go, so excuse me and get the fuck out of my way. Just move, will you? A couple of months after the Andrews lost everything, Margaret and Hank found their son, Teddy, in his bedroom, having taken his own life. Margaret refused to believe that her happy and bubbly son would ever deliberately harm himself. She was convinced something nefarious had happened. Reports say that she refused to even say the word suicide for many months. The one word she is said to have kept repeating is... Why? She started pulling at the threads around their lives to work out what had happened. As she pulled at the thread of her son's tutor, Ralph, everything unraveled. The man that the entire family had been calling Ralph for six months didn't exist. This revelation came too late for Margaret. Devastated by the loss of Teddy, Hank had killed himself a month later. Still, she turned all of her findings over to the North Yorkshire police. Unfortunately, every attempt to identify Ralph's true name led investigators to a dead end. The thing that she must have kept wondering was, why? Why was this one single man so impossible to find? Over the following weeks, the public's attention waned and the police started to shelve the Andrew case one file at a time. Margaret continued to push for more investigation on the case, but was ignored by police and maligned by the tabloids as a hysterical, raving, attention-hungry widow. And this left Margaret on her own, stuck, wondering why nobody would help her. A full year later, in early 2006 she decided to take on the services of a private investigation firm called the Lancasters. You're about to hear their leader, Henry Lancaster, a man who made his career off of solving whys. This is an advert for the company that aired on national radio that same year. My name is Henry Lancaster. As a very young child, my parents gave me away in the hopes of giving me a better life. They didn't. My childhood was spent being pressed around an uncaring system, always wondering who my parents were and why they gave me away. I asked that question to everyone. Why? Nobody could ever give me an answer. So, I went looking for one myself. When I was only 16, I tracked them down, and it was the best decision I ever made. Now, I'm offering my services to you. Do you have someone you've lost contact with? Someone you wish you could tell that you were sorry? Or maybe you're like me and are sick of hearing, I don't know. 
Give the Lancasters a call, and we'll get you started on your own journey of discovery. Henry Lancaster is the CEO and lead investigator for the Lancasters. If you're able to pay enough, then your happiness is the most important thing. Therefore, Margaret meant the absolute world to them. In a move that had been impossible for police investigators, Henry identified the real man behind the Ralph alias as Edward York, the now leader of the York family. But when police barged down his front door, there was nothing left. The Yorks had disappeared. Edward York had led the York family since his adoptive father, Richard, had been killed two years prior. However, his time at the helm was limited. Sometime after vanishing with the Angie fortune, Edward's health began to severely decline. The cause has never been identified. By the time the Yorks resurfaced in late 2007, his wife, Elizabeth York, wore the leadership mantle. She identified an isolated but independently wealthy man and made contact with him at the very start of 2008. It is rumoured that she planned to use the payout to fund experimental treatments for Edward. Here is a clip of the independently wealthy man speaking to a national radio show in December of 2008, a day or so after his reports about her had made waves in the news cycle. I feel so stupid now that I look back on it. Having to explain it to the police over the last couple of days, they made me realise how many red flags there were that I'd ignored. It makes me feel much older than I am. I'm going to have to ask you to walk us through it one more time for us all. Is is that all right? <laughs> so, sounds good. That that's That's what I'm here to do. Do you mind quickly introducing yourself? Sure. Uh, as you said, my name is Anthony Woodville. I've written a, a few books that my pe- that <laughs> that the pa- parents out there have probably heard of. <laughs> the cat, the rat, and Lovell. But sales have spiked recently. Number four in a bunch of children's book charts. <laughs> I'm, I, I guess that's one good thing to come out of this. And you're here because you were the unfortunate recipient of what sounds like a very intense scam. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Liz, I'm sorry. Uh, I I mean, Elizabeth York reached out to me and told me she was my long-lost sister. I only believed it because of how my father was. I didn't even know her real last name until just recently. She told me it was Grey. It, it was only when I was speaking to the police that I found out it, it wasn't that. Grey, that is. A- anyway, she, she told me her husband had recently died and that she was reaching out so that she didn't have any re- regrets. I don't know. I, I don't know how she knew that line would work for me, but, but it did. I forgot to look at any of the rest of her story to see if it made any sense. It's important to note here that while Elizabeth was, of course, lying about being Anthony's sister, she wasn't lying about Edward's death. The specific details of Edward's death remain largely unknown, but from what Anthony Woodville had said, we know that it happened before she reached out to him. Understandably, the situation hit Elizabeth hard. 
Liz would always arrive looking like she'd been crying. I never really knew what to say. Wow. Must have been really hard for you. I mean, yeah. Not as hard as it must have been for her, though. So, how did she get in contact with you? I think it was via email. Must have been. She wrote saying that she'd tracked me down through our shared father, as I've already said. We started sending emails back and forth. Then her losing Edward came up. I'd recently lost my wife for 26 years, so we bonded over our losses. It was so easy to talk with her about it that it felt like proof that we were related. How do you think she knew to reach out? I have no idea. I've been racking my brain about this. Um, I do lots of promotional interviews, so maybe I mentioned something in one of those about my father's, shall we say, loose morals? Although, why that would come up in a conversation about a children's book, I don't know. I don't know. Forgive me if this is too personal, Anthony. Are the two of you still in contact? You're going to think that I'm insane, but yes. I don't blame her for what happened. With everything that she's been through, I can grind to that kindness. It's no real cost to me. When Anthony Woodville discovered the truth behind Elizabeth's deception, the familial bond didn't disappear. He didn't even press charges. Six months after he discovered the truth, Anthony was still corresponding regularly with Elizabeth. Despite his sympathy for Elizabeth's loss of Edward, Anthony Woodville remained unaware that his presence had inadvertently been making her life considerably more difficult. Shortly after Elizabeth had made contact at the start of 2008, Anthony had been on a press tour for one of his books. He was happily chattering away about the fact that his long-lost sister had returned. It's difficult to say whether Elizabeth was too panicked about gathering the funds for Edward, but she used her real first name. And, of course, Anthony was happy to share many photos that the two of them had taken together. The Lancasters swooped. They reached out to Anthony Woodfill and were the reason that he discovered Elizabeth's real identity. And then, to Elizabeth's chagrin, they refused to leave. We've mentioned the Lancasters a few times now, so we ought to tell you a little bit more about their operation. In late 2004, they had a documentary crew follow Henry around the offices. Due to a notorious case that involved tracking down a diabetic elderly woman who had gone missing, they were riding the wave into stardom. Henry led a camera crew around the group's offices. His is the next voice you're about to hear. My first official investigation was tracking down my biological parents, without any help or resources. So imagine what we're capable of now with all of this! The documentary will do a much better job of introducing the main players than I would. So, we'll let Henry Lancaster himself take it away from here. Let me introduce you to my incredible team. Wouldn't be possible without them. We're a huge group, so I'll start with my top tier, guys. First, right over here, is my number two, Hastings. Um, hey, I'm Will. <laughs> Henry likes to call me Hastings, because Henry thinks I move around too quickly. I've been, been part of the Lancasters since, since it first started. Seemed more appealing than grunt police work. 
what would you say your main job is? Oh, um, um, probably, probably keeping Henry propped up and on the right track. You might call me his, um, uh, advisor. Yes, advisor, yeah. And that's no disservice to Henry. I've just got a lot more hands-on experience. He's an outstanding guy and an incredible investigator. Damn right, Hastings! Best boss ever! <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Is it always like that here? Pretty much. Henry likes to hang around to make sure you're doing everything right. He means well. <sighs> uh, hmm. We've got the graphic design team here, headed up by uh, Brandon. Great guy. Then there's Vaughan and the twins over there. You should have seen them work when they were designing our new logo. Mwah! <laughs> uh, oh, right. Before we go any further, there's someone I want you all to know about. <laughs> this is Stanley. He married my mum. How many years ago? Well, that would be 16 years in June. The best stepdad ever! Funded this entire operation, didn't he? Yes, that's right. I did. Me and your mother, we're really proud of you. And I know that your father would have been too. <laughs> yeah, you're damn right he would be. Whenever we'd get together, he, he would always talk about eventually getting you back. They just needed enough money to support the three of you after he died. Come on now, old boy. <laughs> These people don't want to hear that story again. That's all in the past. It's boring. These guys want to know what's happening now. That's exciting. But, hey, you let us take everything here to that next level. And, Stanley, I want you to know that I appreciate it and love you for it. Think of all the people we've been able to help, all because of you. All right, who's next? The Lancasters market themselves as a pure force for good. But wherever they've been, you can always spot the wake trailing behind them. And unfortunately for Elizabeth, her right-hand man, George, was about to get caught up in it. George was adopted into the family relatively late, in his mid-thirties. George was known for being a little bit awkward, nervous, twitchy. From all reports, he looked like a strong wind could blow him away. Anthony Woodville's tip-off had given the Lancasters a clear target. With their increased pressure, George's loyalty buckled. The wind blew, and he disappeared. We return for the final time to Anthony Woodville in early 2009, nearly three months after he discovered the truth about Elizabeth. How familiar are you with Elizabeth York's family? I'm sure you've heard the same stories as me since you announced this. All of that stuff around the Anjus and the death of that young boy and Elizabeth's supposed involvement in all of it. First of all, people can say what they want about the rest of the family, but I know Liz. She'd never be involved with any of that. And forget about all of that. I'm worried about her right now. How come? It's not enough that she lost her husband recently, but now her brother-in-law has walked out on her. Brother-in-law? Which one? The only one she has, as far as I'm aware. George, I think it is. 
Do you know why he left? He's tried to convince her to leave all this behind a handful of times, and she wouldn't for whatever reason. I've tried to talk to her too. If I can be perfectly candid, I think she should stop before she does anything that she really regrets. With George's flight, Elizabeth was left alone against the rising Lancaster tide. There's no way the Lancasters could have known what their involvement would lead to. The home of renowned children's author Anthony Woodville has been cordoned off by police following the discovery of his body. Elizabeth York was arrested at the scene, but police have not yet released information regarding the charges she may be facing. Witnesses of the arrest did report that many items with links to witchcraft were found at the scene, including a deck of tarot cards. But the police have refused to comment any further. According to the official police statement, the day before the incident, Anthony Woodville had broken off contact with Elizabeth. Neighbors have said that Elizabeth returned to Anthony's premises around 2 a.m. There was a period of alcohol-fueled argument between Elizabeth and Anthony before a tremendous crash was heard. Allegedly, and this is also from the police statement, quote, "Miss York then proceeded to write satanic messages on the walls with his blood and desecrate his remains." Unquote. It was not until early the next morning when cleaning staff arrived that police were called to the scene. Elizabeth York was found sleeping in one of his beds upstairs and was arrested after a large amount of his blood was found on her clothes. This is a recording of the moment that Elizabeth was dragged out of the house. Thank you, Sergeant Sergeant. This is ridiculous. It looks like they're bringing her out. Don't leave him in there not like that. He doesn't deserve it. I'm so sorry, Tony. I didn't mean for you to die. Wait. Stop. You have to You have to let me see him. Let me go. Do you know who you're talking to? He's my brother. God, he's my brother. You have to. <laughs> in the aftermath of these events, the Yorks were left in a state of disarray. The previous head of the household, Edward, had passed. Elizabeth had been arrested and was facing charges for at the very least, first-degree murder. The person left to pick up the slack is the one member of the York family that we've only mentioned in passing. Richard's biological daughter, Richie York. Without Richie, there wouldn't be a podcast for you to listen to. Her fingers have been muddling along in the background behind the official version of the story that you've heard so far. At the top of the episode, we played you a recording of Margaret Andrews' phone call to the police. We've been holding back the second half of that recording from you. The half that set us off on our journey to discover everything else that's been going on beneath the surface. 
if what happened to me is any indication, you guys need to get on this now. They're going to find someone new, sell them another one of their fake stories, and then, before you know it, everyone will be dead. Keep a particular eye out for the youngest daughter, Richard. She looks innocent, but she's the most calculated, psychotic creature I've ever laid eyes on. I don't have the proof yet, but I know that she did it. She killed my son. Rishi York killed my goddamn son! And you need to do something about it or I will! Next episode, Richie. Check out episode two now, wherever you get your podcasts.